sometimes it, I feel like people are, you know, you can nitpick on certain words or ideas and think, well, it's not really that big a deal. Like you sent me that, um, that snippet this week on a free agency versus moral agency. And uh, I listened to the whole guy, but, but what you were saying about the communion, when we look at the communion, um, the communion, and we sometimes it's talked about, you, know, you go in there to be forgiven and you know, think of all the bad things you've done the past month and ask the Lord to forgive you for those things and uh, renewing your covenant and you know, what do I need to repent of. Those are all part of it, but the main part of it, the main focus is remember me, remember me, focus on Jesus, the flesh and the blood and the things he did to die for us. And that's a mindset shift when we put most of our thoughts on Christ and his saving power rather than what do I need to do and what have I done wrong and, and the you know, like almost as if you're looking at the power coming from within you instead of just focusing on Christ. And the purpose of the sacrament to do it often is to remember him. So you said you got that email, you know, from someone that was that said that resonated with them. Yeah, I had a, oh, I, you know, I, we get messages now and then, and, and we don't want to ever betray a confidence or trust. And uh, by far, it's always overwhelming the response from people who have kind things to say and, and often questions or they want maybe some clarification. And and someone wrote recently, and I, and I won't share anything to divulge who or, or why, but the the question was, you know, last fall we had a podcast that we talked about communion and, and the person was just saying, hey, what what was the points you were making? I can't remember where the podcast is. And um, it wasn't our point so much as just reading in the word. You know, there's these phrases, this oral tradition that goes around regarding communion. Like you hear these words in our circles anyhow, renewing your baptismal covenant. And it's like, well, the, those words aren't in Scripture. Um, it might be something that it's appropriate to remember. We were baptized, but communion is so much more, like you said, Mike, it's it's about him. It's not about us. Our, anything we did was filthy rags, Jesus said. And this Savior who, because of his gracious act, did the only thing possible to take on flesh and, and die so that we wouldn't die forever, that's... That's what we're remembering. And, and when we reach forth and, and take that symbolic flesh and blood, you know, we're, we're saying, I want you, Jesus, I want your ways to assimilate into mine, I, I, into me. You know, I, what you're about, I want to be about. What, what makes you tick, I want it to make me tick. And I, I find that um, that's what we're saying. You know, when the scriptures say don't take God's name in vain, it's it's like communion is all about saying, hey, I'm going to stay in the fight, Lord, for you. I'm going to represent you. I'm going to take your name upon me in every day of my life and try to serve you or or be that example somehow of you and your love. And these things that we do in communion are always and only about him. They're, they're really nothing about us or our covenant we made. It's a very a very minor shift, and I know it's all tied together. But the main, um, placing your eyes back on Christ, you can sit there all day and think about what's wrong in my life and what have I done wrong and these are the sins I've done this month and this is what I need to change. But you're still looking at yourself from your own perspective and right. when it comes to holiness, God's in a whole different area of thinking, 
yeah, these things are wrong, but there's so, you know, there's so many deeper underlying things that need to be changed within you that I need to change. These are just symptoms, you know, and you can't properly look at yourself. And uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit guides us. We, we know sometimes things, but it, yeah, placing your eyes just back on Christ, like I want to crave righteousness. I want you to be my first love. I want to only want you. Once that desire is there and, and he, he gets that going within you, then everything else falls into place. But it's always, if somehow we always want to shift back onto our work and it's like focus on Christ and his work and the great uh, eternity that's waiting you, and that's what changes you. Yeah, you know, Satan is subtle in so many ways, and I think even in there, anytime we take the focus off of Christ and we turn it on to ourselves, that's a little work of the, of the <laughs> evil one. You know, it's like you can look at big things like, okay, Easter is about, you know, the sacrifice and the resurrection, right? But but then there's Easter bunnies and green grass and colored eggs and all these things. And it's like, okay, yeah, um, take the focus off maybe what it was for. Well, in communion, there's this idea that's been propagated among people that somehow communion is also that we have to do it and then we're forgiven of sin. And it's like that too takes away from the point because there were certain symbols in the Old Testament, for instance, when the people killed animals annually and God said, this is for your, the remission of sin. But an animal wasn't forgiving their sin. The whole thing was it was trying to teach the type and shadow that someday there would be an eternal sacrifice and it would be the Son of God. And that would bring remission for all humanity. And when we come to communion, we are remembering that it was his sacrifice that made it possible that someday for all who come to Christ, their sin will be totally removed as far as the east is from the west and we return to his presence that's what we're remembering it's not about oh i have a month's worth of sin i need to cross it off the list so i can be you know clean again and it isn't that at all it's like we're remembering the fact that without his sacrifice there's no hope and mm-hmm. and so you know i when i was young i used to think somehow when i died and i may have said this before but when i died i hoped it was on sunday afternoon at, after communion not that i wanted to die then but when that day eventually comes for all of us I thought it better be on Sunday right after we've had communion. Mm. So I'm, I'm clean. And it's like, I had this idea that I could only be clean when, when I had communion. And it's like, none of that has anything to do with communion. If, if so, there wouldn't be the scripture that does exist in the book of Mormon that says, as often as my people repent, I will forgive them of their sin. Because that's the eternal principle is that whenever we repent, we can be forgiven. It isn't that we have to come to communion to be forgiven. And you know, I've heard people say, oh, I haven't done well this month, but I'll try better next month. And it's like, well, we should try better every month, of course. But it isn't communion that makes it that way. It's the, And it isn't that we can only be forgiven or have to be forgiven. Of course, God would freely forgive. He even forgave Adam before Adam asked. In, in the book of Genesis, in the inspired version, it says, Adam, I've already forgiven you of your mm-hmm. sin in the garden. You know, And it's like there wasn't any record of Adam even asking. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he brought it up a lot. But the point, the larger point is that God's very willing to forgive. And it isn't that we have to take communion to be forgiven. Of course, we want to make things right with our brother and do all those things. But we miss the larger point that we're remembering the ultimate forgiveness that yeah. is ours because of him. I was driving this week. I know I say that a lot. I was driving this week and thinking, but that's that's but where you do I, that. <laughs> that's what I get. If I'm home and alone, nothing to do, I get in my car and I head to the country and I just mm-hmm. drive. And that's where there's something about the, that visual uh, seeing the scenery that allows my mind to flow, and it's all part of one thing. It's funny I can drive, I can be on a spot on the river, and I remember exactly the thought I had, you know, three months ago when I was there. Mm. It's just tied to anyway. So I was driving, and 
I was thinking about, again, the gospel and, and, and how simple it is and how if you ask different people, what is the fullness of the gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we've talked about this before. But that sacrament, that uh, the sacrament every month, that is, that's the gospel. And, and when you really bring it down to all of the writers, and tell me if I'm wrong, it's the fact that there is an atonement for our sin and we can be saved in eternity and we can leave this sinful body, and that's the hope in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that that men will rise again and be forever in eternity with their Father, and unless you're a son of perdition, that he is mighty to save you from this sinful place. And that's the gospel, (laughs) and everything else falls under that umbrella. And so when you think about sacrament in that light, that's the fullness of the gospel that we're being reminded of every month that yeah. Jesus died for our sins and atoned for our sins, and we have to come unto Him, and, and and that means everything. I know so many things, but with full purpose of heart, we have to desire to crave righteousness and allow Him to bring about that desire within us until it just embodies us. Yeah, Amen. amen. But hey, I, it reminds me of a video clip I watch this week. And this is kind of the same thing. I, I thought maybe we'll play this. And I know you've got, I'm excited to talk about what you have, but, uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's just do what we like to do. Let's talk. All right. <laughs> we'll we'll talk. We'll oh, get hey, to it all. Well, we should probably play the intro music to make this. Oh my uh, gosh. We're doing a podcast. A, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> make this an official Ma- Mike makes this amazing coffee and we're sitting here enjoying it in his studio. And I forgot we're even recording. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. So we weren't planning on starting off today what we were talking about, but Reminded me of a video I watched this week. We're talking about how we come before the Lord every month and ask to be forgiven. And um, this is a video about a pastor who uh, was talking about he was saved so many times, you know, quote, saved a sinner's prayer. And, and, and then he had a mind shift and things changed for him. So I just want to play this. You know, throughout my life, I have known how to get saved. Trust me. I knew how to get saved. I've done it many, many times. <laughs> praying the sinner's uh, prayer. Um, I made my first uh, profession of faith when I was four and a half years of age in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, shortly thereafter, I wanted to get baptized. So I got baptized in the waters of baptism. And, but as I grew up in a Christian home, there was no evidence of saving fruit in, uh, in my life. I would lie. I would steal. I had absolutely no conscience whatsoever and so pretty much was convinced uh, growing up that I was not a Christian. During my freshman year of high school, God's Spirit began to work in my heart, and I just became seized with an awareness of the length of eternity and the fact that I'm going to live somewhere uh, forever. So one day I pulled my Bible teacher uh, aside at the Christian high school I attended, and I said, I, I, I need to get saved. And so he shared the gospel with me and, and then led me through the sinner's prayer. Well, after doing that, I I went to my pastor and I said, listen, I know I've already been baptized, uh, but I'm really saved this time. It's for reals. So um, can can you baptize me again? And my pastor was happy to baptize me again. I am a true Anabaptist. Um, 
and things went really great for a few weeks uh, after uh, that. Um, I, um, uh, I, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I, I was spending time in the Word, I was praying and, and uh, practicing the disciplines and so forth and abstaining from sins, and yes, I would sin and I would fail God, but it seemed like He was happy enough to forgive me. Uh, and keep me in his good favor. But eventually, the sheer quantity of times that I failed God and sinned against him reached a threshold where I became convinced that God was fed up with me and getting quite tired of forgiving me of the same sins over and over again. So it was not long before I pretty much just gave up the whole effort of trying to stay in God's good favor and having to tend to that all the time And I just said, forget it, and I went back to the way that I was before. Well, my junior year of high school, I went to summer camp and heard a lot of gospel preaching through that week, and by the end of the week, man, I was like, man, I'm not saved, and I want to get saved. God's Spirit's working in my heart, and they had a big campfire at the end of that week of camp, and they had a bucket of sticks, and and they said, it was very dramatic, man, it was... uh, uh, you know, pick up one of these sticks if you're going to dedicate your life to the Lord. And I picked up one of those sticks, and that represented my life. And I walked to that fire, and I threw that stick in the fire, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I asked him to save me. This time, it seemed like it was really for real. And I got home from summer camp, and I approached my pastor. <laughs> and I, I said, Pastor, I really got saved this time, and could you baptize me again? Uh, this time, he said, I'm not going to baptize you again. And to his credit, because if he had baptized me on that occasion, I'm convinced he would have baptized me three or four more times after that. Uh, you guys have to know, throughout my life, I have prayed the sinner's prayer hundreds of times. I remember as a kid, uh, seven, eight, nine years old, we'd be on vacation in Amarillo, Texas, where my grandparents uh, lived, and hundreds of miles away from our home, and we'd be visiting in Amarillo, Texas, and I would lie in bed at night, and the howling Texas windstorms were just beating against the house and moaning, kind of like a whistling siren kind of sound, and I would, I would lay there in bed, and I would think, what if the rapture came? I'm hundreds of miles away from home and in these windstorms, and I'm telling you, I did not want to be left behind in Texas. That's... <laughs> and so I would, I would lie there in bed, and I would just pray the sinner's prayer and ask God to save me. And there were multiple instances such as this, and, and over the years, I just, what I'm trying to convey to you guys is that I would, you know, redouble my efforts and commit my life Uh, to the Lord, and it would seem like things were going well, and he was happy to forgive me, but eventually, I just began to get a sense that, and I was wrong in this, that God was getting fed up with forgiving me for the same sins over and over again, and I was beginning to lose his favor gradually day by day. And one of the other things I noticed is that when I would try to redouble my efforts and try to walk with God, I would have to obsess over every detail to make sure I didn't do something that angered him or that would cause me to fall out of his good favor. Um, And obsessing over that, and it was an exasperating chore for me just to maintain my relationship with God and this favored standing with God. And I noticed this also, that I was most irritable 
when I was trying to walk with God. Uh, when I wasn't trying to walk with God, I was easier to get along with. But when I was trying to please God and stay in His good favor, I was, I was most irritable in those seasons because it was so exasperating, just tending to my standing and making sure that God stayed favorably disposed towards me. Does that story ring a bell for you? So, that's interesting. He goes on and talks about the testimony, and he says later on, when he shifted his mindset and realized the, they call it the doctrine of justification, but what we mean is what, to sum that up, Jesus did the work on the cross to justify us in front of the Father. And when we can accept that and realize that what all that entails, that we can have eternal life with him in heaven, then there is a mind shift and the pressure comes off. Um, and so do you want to hear the ending of his testimony? I'd love to. When that, when that happens, well, let's cue that up. Milton Vincent being transparent, getting saved again and again and again, (laughs) which we know you only get saved once. His confusion, however, rested in his lack of understanding of what Jesus accomplished for him on the cross. In other words, the term that we talk about, justification, isn't justification great? Don't you love the doctrine of justification? Well, that doctrine should actually cause us to be more than just theologians. It should cause us to love the one who accomplished our justification. And as I just kept the doctrine of justification in front of my face, I would literally catch myself changing. And it'd be surprising. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? I'm forgiving when I wasn't even consciously, you know, trying to work on this area, or I turned away from this lustful scene uh, in a commercial or whatever, and I walk out of the room, and I find myself in the kitchen, and I'm like, how did I get here? What? No one's even in the house to watch what I'm doing, and I'm walking out of the room. How did this happen? And I begin to realize it's, it's the gospel, it's the doctrine of justification that was uh, transforming and rearranging my heart. I enjoyed... I found myself loving God more and more, and also in moments of temptation, when sin would present itself, I would look at the sin, and I I love saying this, I'd look at the sin and say, you know what, I can commit this sin. I can commit this sin, and God's grace would abound all the more as he graciously maintains my justified status. But it is precisely for this reason that I choose not to commit this sin. And I would turn and walk away from that sin with laughter in my heart. So, Corey, a couple things that stick out to me. The first thing that he said, well, you know, there's a pattern of over and over and over being saved and wanting to be baptized. And we could really uh, liken that in our faith to the sacrament every month where we try again and, oh, I messed up. And one thing he said, and we've talked about this a little bit, the more he obsessed over trying to walk the Christian walk and I've got to quit doing this and, and all of that, the more irritable he became. And I, I tie that in as we've talked about when we're harsh with each other, when we're harsh with each other's groups in the restoration, when we're harsh personally with each other and, and we gossip and we're prideful and we're jealous, that's because uh, we're obsessing over trying to do what God wants and we, 
become irritable and and the easiest way really to do that is to point out flaws in other people even though if it's subconscious to make ourselves feel better or to get angry because other people are causing feelings within us that well up and we know they're not right and so we blame them instead of instead of ourselves we become irritable and then we have to go to the lord again and ask forgiveness what did you think about that oh lots of lots of good stuff you know what you just said um there's, there's the trying to be different, and then there's the true change. You know, Jesus said, I think it was to Peter in the New Testament, hey, uh, after all this time they had spent together, and then he says, oh, by the way, when you're converted, go heal the brothers. Right. You know, and that's that. He, I, I think the difference in language is we have some really clear language in the plainness of the Book of Mormon. This idea of being born again comes back to the change of heart. And there's there's times when you, in your life, you hear about Jesus, you might have been baptized, you, you, you might have kind of kind of stumbled around, but then some sometimes in your life, you just change to where it's like, that change took place and it's rooted. And it's not like I had, you know, you don't slip, but it's like, you know what you want now, you really know what you want. And I think that's kind of what he's talking about. All of a sudden, it's like, it wasn't like I was trying to be good or trying to do this. It was like, no, I wanted to be good. I well, wanted the, to, do to me, the mind shift for him, when, when they talk about the justification, we would call it, uh, well, it was, we talk about this minor shift in thinking and, and does that really matter? But this is a great example of someone not even within our faith, taking his eyes off of himself yeah. and placing his eyes on Christ. Yeah. And that's what you were talking about on the sacrament prayer that, Yes, there's an element of repentance. There's an element of recognizing where you're falling short, but you can't focus on the power to change that within yourself. The main power is Christ accomplished something on the cross, and our shift in thinking really, I think, has to get off of this. My eternity is based on how well I do, and right back onto Christ, and my eternity is based on what Christ did. Yes, and that's when we quit becoming irritable and obsessing and falling short week to week, month to month, and needing to be re- forgiven and repenting every month to just focusing on this is what Christ did. Yeah. And he said it was a natural fruit from that, even though he's using different language. The natural fruit, when he started focusing on what Christ did and what that means for him, the gift that's free, Isaiah talks about it, it's free, come and to partake freely. He said... Something changed in my life. It was no longer me like, I can't watch this commercial. Oh, I feel this lust. He's like, I just wanted to walk out knowing that I could sit there and commit this sin, but but why? I, I There's something about this subtle conflict that Satan puts within us that entraps us, but it was once when he, when he placed his eyes on Christ and his mindset shifted, it's not just words. His life shifted. The fruit, the, yeah. it bore fruit. So that has to be good and of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Taking our eyes off of ourselves and placing them back on Christ. And that's, again, where we come. And I don't feel bad for always ending up here because eternal salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins to save us. And so our whole culture is that we've been raised in and understanding salvation is you got to be certain. You got to be so good to be in certain places. And we need to get our mind off of that and realize Christ did the work. Christ cleansed us. And when we do that, we're free then to turn away from sin. Something about trying to do something in your own effort makes you continually fall into sin. And and again, people could say, you're just playing with words, but here's a testimony of someone without our faith that the same 
truth has come to. Mm -hmm. And he testifies of the fruit being born in his life, that it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that scene would look like when, you know, I think we've all had it ingrained in us that it's communion is this close introspection and kind of examining the the minute details of your life. And then every single person who comes in this collective worship is sort of like inwardly a little fearful and inward. I mean, we should have this fear of God, of course, but it's, it's, it's like, I think there, if there's 50 people in the worship or a hundred people, you got a hundred people who are maybe more focused on themselves in that worship rather than a hundred people coming together. And it's like, Oh my gosh, look at this, what the savior did for us, that we have a hope of eternal life, you know? And that's, that's when we reach forth and that's when we partake. It's like, it's to remember this amazing gift that there, I love the phrase in the book of Mormon. There was no other name given. There was no other way or means by which salvation could come. And it's by him. And that's what we're doing when we come into communion. We're remembering it's because there's no other way. And unfortunately, Israel had to put up with 1,500 years of thinking it was about a, a goat or an animal, lamb, or something that was doing the work. And it's like, no, those are just symbols of, of the work that was going to be done by the Savior. Yeah, and <clears throat> and and we, we think so much it's our work. And I'm certainly not saying that there isn't need to have a life change. It's just I think it's the source of how that life changes and if that life change in all appearances is because of you have somehow mastered self-will and self-discipline to uh, get, eliminate, you know, 50% of the sins that, that in your life that you used to struggle with, that has nothing to do with craving righteousness and just wanting to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's a mind shift, and it's real mainstream, probably Protestant evangelical Christianity that we shy away from, but... But I'm telling you, this shift into this this level of heaven and rewards based on works and how many, how righteous you were and how valiant you were in your testimony takes your eyes off of Christ and we lose the joy of the fact that we are all free and that we are all equal in God's eyes and the and you know getting to that point where you crave Him is 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 the is the end result. You know, you use that word evangelical, and I'm thinking. The most evangelical book of scripture I think we have in the world is probably the Book of Mormon. You know, if you read it for what it says, it's it's purely about it's the merits of Christ and it's his his work. And our I love King Benjamin's phrase. He uses you know how great is our nothingness, right? You know we mm-hmm. we we have nothing. We are unworthy creatures. That's another phrase he uses. And to think that somehow you know our nothingness and our unworthiness is somehow going to take us the infinite gap over you know to salvation it isn't it's it's simply that we are we become exactly like he says where all of a sudden this this desire this craving becomes real for him and you know getting back to thinking hey i'm i'm fresh and clean after communion you know like he talks about i don't know how many times he he said i i wanted to be saved you know and saying the sinner's prayer we don't use that language but i don't know how many times after communion now i thought well this is it lord i'm i'm good now you know and and i'll be good but probably as many or more but but either in in all that the judgment day language from scripture doesn't somehow say well here you stand on my right hand because all you guys somehow arrived suddenly with no sin and it's only the people who made it through this life and didn't have any sin no it's like all humanity has sin and god's god's not looking at 
that balance sheet so much as he's just looking at the hearts of the individual ones. And it's like, yeah, but what did your heart change? Did you crave? Did you desire? And it's like, then for all those, the sin is removed at that judgment day, any record, any, any history. And then it says, the only thing we can remember from that point forward is how righteous and happy that state is going to be of eternity because this memory of past sin is gone and, and it's not in our soul anymore. Mm-hmm. We have we have a clean soul locked in a new body that can live forever. And then for the unrighteous, the only difference the Book of Mormon says is they come to God and they have their sin and they shrink back and remain in their sin. But zap, they get that eternal body and it really hurts because you can never get rid of that memory of sin. The memory. The sinner, by the way, it's really short. I thought I'd just read it. I pulled it up here. This is a sinner's prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. There's a lot of I, I do this, I do that. Uh, and these are all good things, but it's uh, there's something more. You can say that, obviously, hundreds of times in your life and still remain in your sins and still remain uh, sinful by nature. But the, the change has to be that desire, that, that spirit working, working within you. Hey, uh, you know, there's a scripture uh, about, is it Ammon or Alma? Boasting, I boast, and, yeah. and they get accused of boasting. Right. That's to me, that's a great example of humility that looks like pride. We think of humility as just maybe sometimes being beaten down and oh Lord, I'm a sinner, and you know, kind of like this sinner's prayer and heal me and I'm wretched and I've done these things. But what does that scripture say? Uh, I have to pull it up that uh, I will the boasting if yeah, yeah, even so, I will I boast. I think Psalm 14, um, that's a Oh, that's Ammon talking. In fact, um, I was just reading that the other day in a new way because one of the things, you know, I got to throw this out. It's full of cool Hebrew poetry. But what he what he brings up, you remember Ammon was one of these rebels with Alma. They were the sons of Mosiah, and they were all trying to destroy the church. And he brings up the fact, he said, why didn't God just wipe us out? We wanted to destroy his church. And now it's like he's given us the, the best of the best. We have this hope of eternal life, and he, he's saved us by his mercy. And that and is, is just such a cool testimony because you, you look at these examples of people who were you know, way, way on the dark side and came back, and it's like their lives were changed. And all they can do now is boast of God in, in, in the good good way because it's not about them and their works. He When he brings this boasting back, he said, no, it's all about the work of Christ. Yeah, I want to read this here. They, they, had, they had helped some people come to the Lord, and, and here he goes. He says, behold, they are in the hands of the Lord of the harvest. And they are his, and he will raise them up at the last day. He had, does that sound like he has any doubt that uh, where these people are going to be? Exactly. He's not. Uh, Blessed be the name of our God. Let us sing to his praise. Yea, let us give thanks to his holy name, for he doth work. He doth work righteousness forever. And if we had not come up to the land of Zarahemla, these are dearly beloved brethren who have so dearly beloved us would still have been racked with hatred against us, yea, and they would have also been strangers to God. Right. And it came to pass, when Ammon had said these words, his brother Aaron rebuked him, saying, Ammon, I fear that the joy doth carry thee away unto boasting. But Ammon said unto him, I do not boast in my own strength 
or in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full, yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing, as to my strength I am weak. Therefore I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, for in his strength I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. And there, I think, is the minor shift in thinking where you can be joyful and happy and um, boasting almost in the fact that eternal life is ours. And yet the key right there is is where he says, I know that I am nothing. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean that he's beaten down and, and, uh, you know, and and has a a sad face and is gloomy because of his sins because he's not focused on himself. He says, I know I'm nothing. Yeah. I know I'm nothing, but yeah. I'm boasting in my God. I am weak. And, and in 97, he continues and says, behold, who can glory too much in the Lord? You know, I, I don't, I, I'm guilty to say I probably have never gloried enough in the Lord. And he's like, Hey, who can do it too much? He's like saying, no, this is, this is the attitude you have to have is like to glory in the Lord and mm-hmm. his goodness. Now I know we're taking an extreme case here, but but these these words I'm sure I recorded uh, for a reason, um, and so this is interesting. I didn't realize Corey that this Sunday is. I mean, I knew it at a point, but I didn't. It wasn't on my mind when we started this. This Sunday is sacrament, mm-hmm. and uh, just to bring up that oh that email you got and a little bit of what we were talking about, and I heard that um, that video this week that I played. I think it's important to remember, and hopefully this Sunday, um, well, actually, <laughs> this will air after sacrament, so it's good to remember any time. You can do the old switcheroo, you know, you can put it out early. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. Yeah. It's good to remember any time that um, it's just not about us. It's about him and placing our eyes on him. You know, he, the, verse 98 of the same passage from Alma 14 could likely be the banner over communion, because he, he asked this rhetorical question, who could have supposed that our God would have been so merciful as to have snatched us from our awful, sinful, and polluted state? You know, that's what we're remembering in communion, you know, right. that he did that for humanity. There's a, um, that's a, that's a word picture. Um, Matthew says that, you know, Jesus came to save us, to save us from our sins. And then you have this here that says snatching us, snatching us from our awful, sinful, and polluted state. There is one of those words, snatched, that um, <laughs> that's a little bit different uh, word picture, isn't it, than just saving us? Yeah. It's, snatching us. When, 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 you know, well, if you think you're standing on the curb of, and, and a bus is coming and your little I one— I was picturing railroad tracks, but yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Your, your little <laughs> one starts to step off the curb. You don't just— uh, you can say, well, I saved her from getting hit. But when you say the word snatched, you, you picture this arm going out and grabbing them by the collar and ripping them back out of danger, out of exactly. harm's way. And so this this word snatched is interesting that um, that God uh, takes a very active, a very bold, a very um, deliberate movement to pull us out of our sins. Yeah, yeah. You know, he continues this love for the Lord and boasting in, in God and even recounting his failings. And you think about this in terms of communion because we're all here, him in a way. He says in 99, behold, we went forth even in wrath with mighty threatenings to destroy his church. 
Well, it's like anytime we sin, we're we're in wrath against God. We're destroying his work, right? But he says, oh, then why did he not consign us to an awful destruction? And here's the word picture. Why did he not let the sword of his justice fall upon us and doom us to eternal despair? You know, it's like come down and just one swath, poof, you're gone with the sword. It's like he's... He could have done that, right? You know, it's like we we weren't we were nothing. We are nothing. And then he he laments and says, My soul fleeth at the thought. He but this is where it's reconciled in, in one oh one. He did not exercise his justice upon us, but in his great mercy hath brought us over that everlasting gulf of death and misery, even to the salvation of our souls. You know, it's like and and so it's it's the communion is this not wondering if I'll be saved or wondering if I'm going to get the moon glory or whatever. It's he's already saying the salvation of our souls. He's brought this merciful gift so that we can have salvation. And, and there's, there's an, there should be no doubt that if we're trying to endure to the end and we want him and this change has been part of us, that this whole communion is a testimony. His promise is sure, you know? Yeah. But when I see this, uh, God being merciful and snatching us from our awful, sinful, and polluted state. I don't know if this is correct or not, but I, I tend to think it is. When when my heart does its last beat on this world, Corey, I imagine there's going to be some sins still ingrained into my consciousness, my soul, my nature. Uh, I definitely will still be part of a polluted and sinful state existing in this world where sin is all around me, where I'm constantly bombarded with sinful, lustful images and uh, anger and hatred around me, injustice. When he snatches me out of that, that's his power to save. I don't. I, sometimes we take that scripture, go forward and be perfect, you know, and, and you're going to do mightier things than I've done. Um, the way we look at perfection, um, I don't ever want to misconstrue and say it's okay to still have sin because Jesus has saved you. But it's it's that desire, like you said, um, of just desiring him and being joyful in him despite um, the times you fall short. But I imagine, I don't know, I wonder um, the, the speaking here about um, where he was accused of boasting. I wonder if he reached that state, like we played that video clip where he was like, yeah, these sins are before me, but I don't, I just don't desire to do them anymore because I'm so, uh, I, I, number one, it probably doesn't, I don't like that spirit that comes in me because I'm so enamored with Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? I was just reading a scripture this week that ties in with this. You know, there's a, you mentioned word pictures, and in Revelation, we get this amazing final picture of humanity standing before God, but then it shifts in like Revelation 20, 21 in there, when all of a sudden John's describing Satan in this bottomless pit. And, you know, you ever have that falling dream at night where you think you're falling, you wake mm-hmm. up with a jolt, you know, you imagine doing that for a thousand years, that feeling wouldn't be good. But it's this and this great chain, I think, that Satan's wrapped with, and I might be getting a couple of the scriptures in different places wrapped together, but it was always that Satan was somehow physically bound, and maybe that represented his 
ability to not tempt us because he was in another place. He was in this soundproof room where we couldn't hear him. He couldn't hear us. And the door was closed. And he wasn't getting out. So it was because of that that he had no ability now to tempt us. Or, 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 and that was what was going to make life different was because Satan was taken away. And you know what? This scripture, I, it, I saw it in a different way. Uh, the, the scripture comes from Nephi's explanation to his brothers where they're talking about salvation. And he says this, um, in, it's in the end of First Nephi 7. He says, and because he's talking about this time when Satan is, you know, no more. But he says, because of the righteousness of his people, Satan hath no power. Now, I see that in a different way. I come, I come back to this idea we've been talking about in, in class recently and on the podcast, too, where there's an opposition in all things, and the opposition has to be for righteousness to occur. And that's a, that's a spiritual principle. But taking it a point further, we, we sin because there's an opposition that we willingly choose. And, and what I'm seeing now is maybe the final day isn't so much that, okay, well, Satan has been vanquished now, and that's why you're going to be good. No, maybe the final day changes because there's still an opposition available, but the hearts of all people have chosen righteousness purely 100%. See, that's what it means. They will all see eye to eye. That everyone's heart will change to where it's like sin could be out there and it has no pull on me. And that's the difference. And I'm wondering, this is what Nephi was really saying. It's not because Satan has been bound with a chain in a bottomless pit. It's because the people have become of a changed heart. Now Satan has no power. That seems impossible, doesn't it? Can you imagine this this world where people have just decided to choose righteousness yeah. because they've been influenced so much by the testimony of Christ? You know, and, and isn't that something just to, to let your mind go there for a minute? Because we don't think it's possible. And yet this is, I've probably never been able to articulate it in this way, but this is what this whole final prophecy means and leads to, is that when Jesus reigns, when he reigns, the the people's hearts have all changed. You know, it's, it's going to happen eventually, and it's because we want to. The will... Of our will will only be for him, mm-hmm. and, and it isn't. It isn't only because it's like Satan got locked in a box somehow. I think it's because no, like the minister said on the on the clip you shared, or like you know we we have these glimpses in our own life. It's like yeah, the temptation's there, but it doesn't have any hold. No. Right. Minor shift in thinking. Satan sows a little tiny lie. And says, focus on yourself, not on the one that did the work, the one that said, here am I, send me. And wasn't that almost the epitome of the initial conflict? Satan says, I'll go down and all will be saved. None will be lost. That was his own work. I'll go do this work for you. And God says, no, I wanted people to have the freedom to choose, and I'm going to send my son. And by me taking on flesh and blood and coming down among them and sh- and dying on the cross for them, that's going to influence them to choose righteousness by my own sacrifice, by my own um, great act of love. And that is a huge mystery. You just, you, <laughs> is there any stranger, is there any stranger story that's ever been written in, in fiction or science fiction, Corey, than 
the God of the creator of the universe takes on the image of human, takes on flesh and blood, allows himself to be killed by his very creation, and in so doing, this great eternal mystery transpires that then allows the hearts of those evil creation to turn into hearts of love mm-hmm. and dwell with him in eternity. Mm-hmm. What yeah. a great, what a great story. Yeah, yeah. And we need to lean into that mystery of what God did and his ability to save us. He's the creator of everything, every leaf, every intricate molecule and atom. He's the creator of all organization and he's mighty to save. And we got to quit taking our eyes off of our own um, striving and effort to be good because it is counterproductive and it just leads to more sin and enslavement. You know, it's like, it, like you said, we're, we're, we're shooting for the wrong goal. It's like when our hearts change, then the things that we do will be good by because our nature has changed. Yeah. And 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 then instead, you know, we kind of grown up, well, it's this checklist, you got to cross some more things off the list and then maybe you'll be better. And it's like, no, your your mindset changes and then it and then it changes. You know, I love the scripture. This is from Jacob's writings, um, the son of Lehi, the brother of Nephi. Um he talks about this savior who comes down and he says, um, I know that you know that in the body he will show himself unto they at Jerusalem from whence we came. He's talking about Jesus coming to Jerusalem. For it is expedient that it should be among them. For it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all men, that all men might become subject unto him. You, know, you, you think about this this great plot, you know, of the greatest story of all time. And just like the scripture says, it behooveth. No, it's it's the God's desire, great desire to allow himself to become subject, not even to just a body, but then to let all the other creation that he created, all of us in bodies to kill him, you know? And, but so that we could become subject to him. And it's, and it's not so that, and it's not said in a, like a bad way, like, okay, now he's going to get his turn, right? Uh-huh. Now we're his subjects. Oh no, it's, it's not that. No, it's that, that we could enjoy everything that he, uh-huh. he knows and has the things that our eyes haven't seen and our ears haven't heard. These are the things that it means to become subject on him. He did all this so that righteous things, good things could happen. Well, this is a, this has been a good conversation. Uh, something totally unplanned that um, that we have had here. It's interesting you you end with Jacob there because I think what we were going to talk about uh, we'll save for the next episode because we're about out of time here. But um, we'll talk a little bit about a young boy taught by his father, and then that young boy expounding on those same things later in his adult life and some of the consistencies and things there. So, any. Uh, any final words there, brother, before we head on out on this one? No, I just really appreciate the conversation, brother, and the coffee you made is amazing. Um, but, uh, hey, as you guys uh, find the Lord and your walk, just remember, uh, be kind to each other because we are all just walking each other home. Amen. <laughs>